We're going to start this morning off maybe just a little different than normal, and there's kind of two reasons why. Um, one of the things that I've talked with uh, BJ about is Celebrate Recovery has, has gotten up and gotten going, is that I would love for some of the folks who are in that to, to from time to time be able to share a testimony with us, and so so that's part of what we're doing this morning. The other part is that our subject matter from this text about dealing with trials, dealing with sin, dealing with temptation, uh, it just seemed fitting to to have one of our own come up and uh, give a testimony to us this morning. And so what we're doing, John had actually thrown me off. He moved my chair. Uh, so I needed to get my chair back out and put it up here. And we've asked uh, Kim Pouye if she would come sit in the chair this morning and share with us just a brief testimony. Kim, if you'll come on up this morning. Good morning. My name is Kimberly Pouillet. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with compulsive overeating. Thank you. So Lewis asked me to tell you a little bit about, um, I always call it creative recovery. It's not creative recovery, it's celebrate recovery. And a little bit about my journey. So first of all, many of you know that most addicts go through a 12-step program those 12-step programs, and that is where I began my recovery. I should start by saying my recovery journey began 26 years ago. Um, it was in a 12-step program, and I was very fortunate that where it was was in a community that was full of recovery, number one, and it was also full of people that believed that Jesus Christ was our higher power. Those are two things, or one of the things, major differences. Celebrate recovery is is Christian-based recovery. The other thing that it addresses is it does not wait until you get into a dependency or a habit is what it's called in Celebrate Recovery before they start working with you. Many of us who've been through this journey realize that the hurts that we've had, and in my case repressed, lead to hang-ups that we have, anxiety, um, depression, um, low self-esteem, all those things. And that those things together, if untreated, can develop into a habit, whether it be shopaholics, alcoholics, um, people that struggle with other types of sin. And there's tons of information about this out on our table, resource table out there. Um, and, and the hope that this brings, number one, by being Christ-centered, you heard my introduction. I'm a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. My identity is not in my compulsion. It is not in my habit. It is in Jesus Christ. Another thing is they give you the tools and the power, much like a re regular recovery program, but it is largely scripture-based. And that is so powerful on my own in my recovery 
I chose to make the Bible the ultimate authority in my life because it's the one thing that is true. So a little about my journey. Um, this is going to be a very, very condensed version. The original was about 30 minutes long. Um, so uh, suffice it to say that I came from a family that didn't know how to do relationships. Um, there's a lot of hurts that come through that. There's a lot of uh, times in which a child's needs may not be met for one reason or another. I would love to tell you that I didn't know Christ, that once I met Christ and experienced salvation, that my story was over, that my recovery was done, that it was finished. But unfortunately, throughout this entire time, and it truly is fortunately because God drew me to himself at a very young age, and he sustained me through it all. He provided the right time and the right place and the right moment for me to discover what was wrong in my life, to acknowledge the habit that had developed, and to take steps to open up about those hurts and those hang-ups. There's two stories I'd like to share with you, one of which is the moment in which I discovered that I had a habit, an addiction, or a compulsion. Um, as I said, my recovery began 26 years ago. 27 years ago, we had a young man enter our life. His name was Austin. He was born, pretty much he flunked his APGAR, so he needed some time in the NICU. Not a big deal. We were able to bring him home, home health care, everything like that. He was my son, my oldest son. At the time, Ron was working very hard, and they were converting uh, in the Chicagoland area. They were converting all of the Walmart snack bars into McDonald's. So he was working nights. He had a crew. They were working 70 hours a week. And uh, I was home alone with the kids. Austin screamed. He had no different sounds for different needs. If his mouth was open, it was a blood-curdling, mind-numbing scream. He nursed every two hours for a half an hour. I did not sleep. Um, throughout this, about five months old, I got into a situation where um, I took out a mailbox we were in the car trying to get him to go to sleep. And um, the good thing that came out of all that is I did reach out to my OBGYN and I said, I'm having visions of hurting my child. And he introduced me to a friend of his. We were able to get me stabilized and on some medication. Um, that psychiatrist happened to be a substance abuse counselor. And during that time with him, it began to unravel the fact that I had been using food as a substance. Uh, I was introduced to the 12-step group, Overeaters Anonymous, where I found a lot of recovery and began to work through things. The most important thing that I was taught was forgiveness. Forgiveness of those people who had hurt you, even if you never saw them again, even if you never encountered them again, even if they never ask for forgiveness. 
Second story I want to tell you, uh, oh, I guess I should go in here and say that I was a pretty stoic person, uh, non-emotional. Um, occasionally I would be a little gregarious, uh, but for the most part I was very stoic. So the second story I usually tell is about, gosh, um, 10 years later, 13 years later, I'd been through uh, the death of my father, the death of my mother, um, grandparent, we'd moved, uh, and through it all, um, I had a lady who had become very important in my life. She was the person that called me every morning. She was the person who walked me through learning about who I was in Christ. Um, and she was in the hospital for, uh, they were putting her on blood clot surgery, but anyway, the long and the short of it was I was supposed to take my kids to see her, and um, I got a phone call saying, come alone. On the way to the hospital, I began to realize that something bad may have happened. And I remember saying, God, you can't do this to me. I got there, found out that what I believed had happened did. She was dead. And the depth of my sorrow was unreal. The recovery was that I was that person making those ugly noises of grief in the waiting room. Before, I never would have been able to sit before you in tears streaming down my face. I never would have been able to experience that pain. I instead would have turned to my addiction. So for that, I am thankful. I'm also thankful for the steps and the provisions God made in my life throughout my life to prepare me for this. One of those things was Bible drill. The study and the memorization of scripture got me through many of those days. Um, another thing was just the people that poured into my life. And this is another difference of Celebrate Recovery. Because in Celebrate Recovery, we don't for focus on the just the bad stuff that's happened to you in, in your life. We focus on those people who have poured in good year after year after year. I welcome you all. It's not just a place for people like me. And I'm using air quotes because we're all people like me. It's a place to come to learn to hear, and to heal. Don't you wish that when you became a Christian that all your problems just went away? But it doesn't happen that way. We could line up to sit in this chair this morning if we were brave enough as, as Kim and share about our habits, our hang-ups, our sins, the patterns that have developed in our lives. I could sit in that chair this morning and tell you about my struggles. One of the things that's interesting, as, as Kim was sharing, is that when trials come into our lives, when you 
maybe realize that someone that very close to you has passed away. Where do you turn? What do you do? Does the stress, the anger, the anxiety, the worry lead you to lashing out? Does it lead you to compulsive eating? Does it lead you to drinking? Does it lead you to pornography? Or do you choose the other path? The path that is oftentimes more difficult. That is in leaning into the Lord. And trusting Him. Going openly before Him in tears or in anger or with our worry. We know these verses, right? That the Lord draws near to us in our time of need. That we are to be a people who cast our cares, our anxieties, our worries upon Him. But far, far, far too often, we don't do that. We don't live in His strength. We don't live in His courage. We don't live in His truth. We just try to make it on our own. And it happens so quickly, doesn't it? I'm going to use a silly example this morning, but just pretend for a moment that this morning you get out to come on your way to come to church and your tire's flat. And I'm going to use the very Christian-y, church-y thing, right? But how many of us in that opportunity would say, praise God, he's teaching me patience this morning. How quickly, how quickly does this process in our life, how quickly does this sin, does this indwelling stuff that we're not rid of yet, how quickly does that just come out of us in ways that are unhelpful and unhealthy? You're not alone. You're not alone. As we look at this passage, I think one of the keys of this passage actually happens in the middle. So we're going to start at an odd place. I think one of the keys of this passage is is in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't skip over the last two words of that verse. As Christians, we like to act like we have it all together and that if we're truly a Christian, that we don't go through trials and temptations and that we don't have problems and that we don't have anger issues and that we're not pulled towards certain sin patterns in our life. We like to pretend like we have it all together. But do you know that what James is telling us here by saying it this way, hey, do not be deceived, beloved brethren, that it's possible, beloved brethren, believers in Jesus Christ, that you can be deceived? There can be things that you believe that aren't true. There could be lies that you're holding on to that aren't true. As we look at this section this morning, one of the things that is reemerging is this this whole concept of trials. I told you before that there were three things that will come back several times in the book of James. And one of those things is trials. And we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. 
And one of the things that James is telling us this morning that we learned also a couple of weeks ago is don't be deceived. Don't think wrongly about trials. How many of us, when trials and temptations come into our lives, that we automatically feel like that God is maybe punishing us? Or that God is out to get us? Or that God is trying to, to really kind of get at us? Remember a couple of weeks ago what we learned. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And what we learned is that God was not at work trying to crush or punish. But in the midst of trials, one of the things that God was doing is that he was producing in us endurance. And that endurance, as it is flowing through us, produces godly character. That God is in work in the midst of that. And so, when various trials come, we can consider it joy. And notice as James picks this theme back up in this letter, that he starts with these words in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. How many of us, when we experience trials and difficult times, say, I am blessed. It reminds me of two things. I don't know exactly maybe why James used these words. I think there's at least two options. Blessed. Maybe James was thinking about the Psalms. As he's, James is writing, maybe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that as James is writing, that the Psalms are to come to our mind. That this whole idea that there are two paths. And blessed is the man who follows the path of godliness. And so that we can look at, like Psalm 1, that we covered a couple weeks ago. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Or maybe, maybe what James has in mind is what we call the beatitude. Blessed are the poor. In spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That God is reorienting us. And so when we see these trials, that maybe what James had in mind when he says blessed, is blessed are you who are going through trials because God is at work in your life. He is doing something. He's reorienting us. He's creating godly character in us. And notice verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, once he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James earlier tells us of these blessings that we get kind of as we go on the go. Now James is telling us, blessed are those who persevere under trial. 
because theirs are rewards in heaven. Look down the road and know that if you endure, your heavenly Father is going to reward you in heaven. And don't miss. Don't miss. Don't be deceived. You are blessed if you persevere, if you endure. Isn't it interesting here in this verse? And I thought about just preaching just on this verse. So I'm going to do this very quickly and not do justice to this verse. But notice it says, blessed is the man who endures or perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And one of the things that we get from this text is that when we love him, when we love God, when we're not deceived, when we don't think that those trials are meant to crush us or to punish us, but when we love him, we trust him. We walk in his ways. We endure. Because we know that he is just and he is faithful. I love the old song. The flames cannot hurt you. They're only designed. For the dross to be consumed and like gold to refine. Martin Luther said this. I found this interesting. That temptation and adversity are the two best books in his library that God uses to teach him. It's a blessing. Blessed are we who endure trial. Don't be deceived. It's not a curse. There are other things here in this text. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Know the source and the cause of sin. These verses are are interesting. Verse 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And the first thing that we have to ask ourselves. Don't be deceived. God does not tempt you to sin. You may say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Lewis. Look at that verse 13 again, and there's some things that are weird here. God cannot be tempted by evil. Well, what happened when Jesus went away in the wilderness? Jesus is God, but Jesus was not being tempted by God to sin. Well, what about the prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's going on here? I think James is being very specific as he writes this. It's interesting because the same word for test is the same word for temptation, which makes this all kind of even more messy than what it may already seem. But I think to help us unpack this, I want to use the imagery I want to use the story, the example of the garden. God created man and woman. He created the garden. He created all the trees. He created everything. And he told man, enjoy. There's one tree, just don't touch this. 
God in that moment was not tempting Adam and Eve to evil. God was blessing Adam and Eve and gave them a pathway to not only life, but to abundance. Trust, enjoy, be filled. It wasn't God that tempted in the garden. So who was it? Some of you may say Satan. Hmm. Satan certainly did come along and come up to Adam and Eve and say, did God really say? I guess to Eve, did God really say? He might have even pointed to that one tree that we weren't supposed to eat from and said, ooh, looks nice, doesn't it? That forbidden fruit, it's the good stuff. God's holding out on you. It'll make you like him. It's interesting. If we look at the words used in verse 14, but each one is tempted, tempted when he's carried away and enticed. That this is actually hunting and fishing terms. So the idea here would be to bait a trap. Or maybe a fishing lure. You know, where you, a fish sees some kind of nice shiny lure. And, and don't miss it. Satan surely can bait a trap. Satan surely can come to Eve and say, look at that tree. Satan surely can, can make things look in a certain way that might tempt us towards sin. Put that shiny lure out in front of us. But what this text tells us is, don't be deceived. <laughs> don't be deceived. Satan's not the source of your sin. There's only one thing. And this may be a hard truth for you this morning. But this verse tells us what? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. What is the source of your sin? It's inside you. It's inside you. Can't blame our spouse. Can't blame our boss. Can't blame your pastor. Satan, it's you who see that lure. It's you who see the bait in that trap and go for it. It's the lust. It's the, the thing inside you that drives you towards it. Like Romans 7 tells us, I often do what I don't want to do. Brothers and sisters, we have to not be deceived. We've got to realize that, that although we are believers, there is still a sin nature inside of us that is being killed and that hopefully is being put to death. But if we are not careful, we will be lured away into sin. And the worst thing that we can do is be deceived and blame everything else except what really needs to be blamed devil, media, God. Happened in the garden, didn't it? 
Who told you you were naked? Adam says, oh, God, it's the, it's the evil inside of me. I repent. From the very beginning, the pattern hasn't changed. The woman. The woman says, oh, that's right. My poor husband, he didn't know. He was off working so hard, and I brought this apple to him. No, the woman says the snake. And if either of those things were true, the curse would have become different. But the reality was, the reality was, that the sin came from inside of Adam and Eve. And it happens so fast, doesn't it? One of the things I want to point out to you. Being tempted is not necessarily the same as sinning. There are many things in this world where we may see the lure of Satan. We may see the lure of media. We may feel the frustration of having the flat tire in the morning. We may feel the pull towards sin. If, if I were to put Kim back in the chair and ask her, do you ever think about overeating anymore? The, the answer would be yes. I had a drinking problem when I was younger. Stop before I turned 21. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that I, sometimes I walk into the gas station and I can taste certain beers without ever putting them in my mouth. The temptation, the noticing that something is going on, that something's not right, that I'm being pulled in direction... That's not the sin. But verse 15 happens so quickly, doesn't it? When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And I don't know where in the process of being tempted and lusting after the thing. I don't know where the process is where you would say sin. What I do know is that we have to know where it comes from and we have to learn how to fight it. There's an old saying in um, addiction circles that by the time you're pulling into the liquor store, it's too late. One of the things that was subtle in the garden that the Holy Spirit brings out in this text is you notice if we were to go in, in Genesis... When Adam is talking to God, he just doesn't say the woman. Where's the ultimate blame? He says, the woman you gave me. He's blaming God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It's not God's fault that you sin. And you may say, oh, Lewis, I don't believe that. But yeah, let's be careful. We do this in some sophisticated ways. Some of us were born with certain temperaments. All of us have jacked up DNAs. Some of us are born in certain ways that lead us into certain predispositions to do certain things. And so sometimes when you're called out because of a sin pattern in your life, you're like, hey, I've always been this way. Who are we blaming? 
You didn't have any choice what your DNA was. Others on the more nurture side of things may say, oh, Lewis, man, you don't understand my home life. I had a rough home life. And, you know, so some of these patterns, some of these enticements, some of these sins that I get entangled in, some of these patterns, these habits, these hang ups are a result of of this this home life I was in. And some of them are even a result of of some of the ways that I cope, some negative coping mechanisms. And and Lewis, I, I. What choice did I have in the family that I was born into? Hear me out. You're saying now, Lewis, aren't you a counselor? Isn't that what y'all do? Yes. But the purpose for going into our past, the purpose for maybe knowing what's going on biologically inside of us, the purpose of understanding maybe where somebody came from and where some of the habits came from, is not so that you can excuse them away. It's so that those lies can be exposed. And the truth of God can come over on top of that because, brothers and sisters, we believe in a God and a gospel that makes us new. We're new. And you can't read the epistles without coming away and knowing that, yes, that sin pattern remains, but it is being put to death. It is being killed. And so we are without excuse because of how great and good God is. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're under some kind of curse because of the situation that you were born in or that God put you in so that you have no control over what you do. That is a lie. Don't be deceived. God is not at fault. The truth is, is that God is calling you to a life where you recognize what's going on inside of you and you take steps, whether it's in a 12-step program, whether it's in a counseling program, whether it's with a Stephen minister, whether it's in Celebrate Recovery, but that you come out of the darkness and you own it, you confess it, and you walk forward in the newness of life and you're going to fall. You're going to bump your knees and God is with you saying, get up and keep going. When lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings Fourth, death. We've got to recognize where this sin comes from. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. God is not tempting you. He's not putting you in situations that you can't overcome. Do not be deceived. Here's the truth about God. Every good thing Given in every perfect gift is from above. Even the trials. Don't be deceived. Our God is a good God who gives perfect gifts to you. Don't be deceived. Isn't this great news? It's coming down from the Father of lights. Listen to the good news. Don't be deceived. From God, there is no variation. He doesn't change. He's not moving the mark. God is with you. He is loving you. 
He is giving to you. Don't be deceived. He hasn't run from you. He's there. He doesn't change. He is for you. Don't be deceived. There is no shifting shadow. God is not a shifting shadow. Somebody that is running from us or that we can't find that God is with us. He is good. I love this last verse. I love this last verse. In some ways, I think verse 18 is like Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, just wrapped up in one solid package. This should fill us with hope. This should propel us forward. Listen to this. In the exercise of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. This could get into lengthy theological things, but simply put, let me say this. What James is telling us. Is that if you are a Christian, if you have depended upon Christ for your salvation, it is telling us that in an exercise of his will, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in love and mercy, saved you. So if you are a Christian this morning. God willed for you to become a part of his family and he has a purpose and a plan for you. It was no accident. You didn't kind of sneak in. He brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel, so that we would be kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now, I think when it talks about first fruits here, it's talking about the original audience, that this was the first century church. And I imagine that as James is writing and he's writing to these folks that they are experiencing trials and temptations and they're new Christians. And they're wondering what in the world is going on? This is hard. This is difficult. All these things are going on. And James is encouraging them by saying you've been brought in by God, by the exercise of his will, and you are a first fruits. And when he says first fruits, I think he means the first fruit of a bigger lump of a bigger harvest that God is building his church and you early church, you early church endure. God is for you. He is with you. Sustain these trials. He is doing something. Count it all joy. You're blessed. Here's the deal. We're not the first century church, but as Damon has reminded us over and over, if you are a believer this morning, God has you here in this time for a purpose. How many Christians, how many Christians are rendered ineffective because we're deceived? We've been enticed. We've been lured. Maybe we think that's coming from the other source. Maybe we think it's coming from God. At the sake of being. Not as compassionate. Maybe we're just licking our wounds. This is not where God wants us to live. 
And some of us live in verse 15. We live in this pattern of verse 15 that lust has been conceived and it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. This is not what God has for you, believer. And there are many that I'm fearful in this room that are there. And maybe your struggle is not Kim's struggle. Most of the time, our struggles, the lust isn't after bad things in and of themselves. Eating is a good thing. If you've been around here in any holiday, I encourage us to indulge. It's only a bad thing when it becomes the thing that replaces going to God. Same thing with sex. Same thing with a variety of things. Anger. There's a righteous anger. Most people who, who are angry want justice. And justice is a good thing. But when we're lured away, anger becomes rage. Becomes irrational, becomes harmful, becomes hurtful. God loves you. God loves you so much. He wants you to persevere. He wants you to trust Him. He's bidding you to come to Him. He doesn't move. He may even be speaking to you this morning come to me. Come to me. Take ownership. I love the verses. I love when John writes things like this. Step into the light as he is in the light. It's so hard. We step in the light. It means that we're exposed. Warts and sin and all. But how great is it when we can step into the light. Fully aware of our sin and our shortcomings. And be loved by God. It beats the dickens out of this game we play. Where it's kind of like we don't step into the light, but we're like, oh God, I'm pretty good. Will you love me? Will you love me? Step into the light. You know, maybe you need celebrate recovery. And like Kim said this morning, Celebrate Recovery is not just for compulsive behaviors. It's not just for people who are eating too much or drinking too much. Or I should probably say doing drugs. We shouldn't say doing drugs too much, right? Doing drugs. It's for people who have the tendency for the anxiety to rule their life. For depression to rule their life. To hide in their sin patterns. Whatever they are. I would encourage you just to go and hang out. Test it out. Even if you don't have one of these hangups or don't think you have one of these hangups, I would encourage you to go. It's hard to be vulnerable, but it's worth it. Will you come out of the shadows? Will you come out from under the deception that you're under? Will you realize, will you realize who God is? Where your sin comes from? And the reality that's the greatest news that you could ever hear. That God is faithful and just to forgive you if you come to him with your sin. 
And not only that, but you'll hear this refrain over and over and over when you come to him with your sin, with your struggles. The refrain that you will hear over and over is this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose of the cross. You couldn't do it. What you couldn't do, God did. Will you come to him? Will you receive forgiveness? Will you walk in this newness of life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this text. God, I have needed this text this week. God, help us to see you for the good, wonderful, great, loving God that you are. Help us to see ourselves clearly, knowing that the sin, that the habits, the hang-ups that are brought forth in our life are because of our own lust and our own flesh. But God, you don't leave us alone. You are great. God, help us to be a people who live honestly and forthrightly with you and with one another. It's in your son's name that we pray.